This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast, the best bits from Wednesday, November the 22nd. Coming up, we'll hear from Andrew Hammond. Andrew's the Saudi editor of AGBI, Arabian Gulf Business Insights, a recently launched business platform website digital provider here in the region. Um, And the reason we got Andrew in was because we wanted to have a little bit of a focus on all things Saudi. Uh, Isn't a day that passes without a Saudi headline Uh, falling into our inbox, um, or more, as the case may be. Uh, Latest one is with regards to civil code, the new civil code coming into effect in Saudi Arabia uh, within the next couple of weeks. Uh, The civil commercial code due to go into effect at the end of the year. What does that mean for businesses? Will that finally provide a bit more clarity for foreign investors? And just how good uh, a time is it to be a lawyer in and around Saudi Arabia. A couple of questions we put to Andrew to kick off uh, the conversation there. Talking of conversations, we were also joined in studio by the founder and the CEO of Gym Nation. Now, Gym Nation is a homegrown brand, uh, by which we mean it is a brand that was launched here in the UAE. It's gone through several iterances already uh, during its uh, early life uh, and looking to continue that growth p- pattern. It's changed uh, its Uh, ownership uh, and business model yet again. Uh, The fitness brand has proudly announced a management-led buyout of all equity held by the previous investors. Um, We got the numbers crunched for us by uh, Lauren Holland, who joined us a little earlier on today. Lauren was in studio to tell us uh, why the buyout, who's helped them with the buyout, what's happening next for Gym Nation. Uh, talking of what's happening next, uh, well, what about the next IPO? Well, we got an indication that uh, Pure Health plan to launch an IPO next month and subsequently list its shares on the ADX. Brian De Francesca, the senior advisor of Maven, joined us live in studio uh, to crunch those numbers yet further uh, and go through the various uh, loopholes that need to be addressed uh, before that IPO. Uh, and talking of loopholes, the CEO Merry Go Round was in full flow uh, over the course of the last 24 hours. Uh, the Sam Altman saga continues. The Sam saga uh, had yet another chapter added to it uh, overnight. So we got more on that one. We we're also talking about what's happening in Binance because their former boss uh, has gone. New boss announced. In fact, something of a local element on that one as well. New boss uh, based out of Abu Dhabi most recently. Uh, whether that remains to be the case, we'll, we'll wait and see. So plenty going on when it comes to all things CEOs and all of that and more right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. So we are keeping an eye on a game I think we could call CEO Shuffle. So it seems to be that way at the moment. Yeah, we've got several stories doing the rounds with regards to all things CEOs this morning. Uh, we have got uh, stories coming out of Binance, Abercrombie & Fitch, OpenAI, to mention but a few for you this morning. Uh, let's go through a few of those uh, headlines uh, for you. Let's start with the CEO's world largest crypto exchange, their CEO, Shangpeng Zhao has stepped down and pleaded guilty to criminal charges. Uh, The case bearing some stark similarities to the collapse of FTX, which was the world's second largest exchange. Uh, That was the Sam Bankman-Fried 
uh, event or, or case. Uh, he was found guilty on fraud charges earlier this month. FBF found guilty for FTX. Now we've got CZ. I suppose there's no acronym when it comes to Binance, unless Binance is just an acronym in itself as well. But uh, they seem to like it in the crypto world, that's for sure. Um, Xiangpeng Zhao's shock departure, and it was a shock departure. Uh, didn't see that coming. Uh, comes as part of a $4 billion settlement that has been reached with the US regulators as well. Uh, he's pleaded guilty to breaking anti-money laundering laws. Um and the fact that there just seems to be more working with when it comes to this particular case. Obviously, uh, the book was thrown at Sam Bankman-Fried and the FDX, and that set a precedent with regards to prosecution uh, of uh, financial irregularities in this sphere. Uh, the fact that CZ has been working with the authorities has fessed up to his uh, fessed up to his. Um, corruption already or alleged corruption already. Uh, there seems to be an agreement with regards to the numbers that are going to be settled or certainly the initial numbers. Is that it, though? Or will he face criminal charges as well? Well, they've agreed some sort of um, deal, haven't they, in terms of the fact that fines have been reached, um, admittance of um, breaking a number of, of sanctions um, and other wrongdoings have been made. So they're calling it a coordinated settlement um, with Binance and uh, the different bits of the federal government, $4 billion fine for Binance um, and a $200 million fine for CZ. Exactly that. That's the deal. That's, that's what's been understood. Listen, will there be any further allegations? Will there be any further um, cases against him? We'll find out a little later on as we talk about all things CEO with Abbas Jaffa Ali Tea Break Media. Not the only CEO story in town, of course. Uh, we've got CZ making headlines. Sam Altman, uh, he's the guy that was the CEO, I think probably still is, basically the CEO of OpenAI. He was given the boot on Friday, um, news overnight that he's probably on his way back as CEO of OpenAI before you can um, say boo to a goose. Not that you probably ever have said boo to the goose or probably will ever have reason to say boo Why to a goose. Why would you say boo to a goose? No idea. Just one of those silly little sayings, isn't of it? Of all the things you could say to a goose, Tom. Um, it, it, shoe, maybe. Um, or yum. Or, or something else. Boo, probably not. Also, uh, another story doing the rounds with regards to confirmation coming out of Abercrombie and Fitch that they say they've stopped providing additional retirement income to one of their former bosses, uh, pending, of course, ongoing cases and allegations against they as well. So, and that's against the uh, former CEO uh, of Abercrombie and Fitch, Mike Jeffries. So we will uh, keep an eye on all things CEO, as I said. It is a bit of a merry-go-round at the moment and one that keeps delivering. Yeah, it does indeed. And I mean, funny enough, on the Binance side, the guy, Richard Teng, who's the new CEO, um, has Abu Dhabi history. Um, he's uh, been involved there with the ADGM. And in fact, it was down um, at the Abu Dhabi Finance Week last year that Nouriel Roubini, um, Dr Doom as he's known, very outspoken economist, um, took a few pot shots at CZ on stage and an event um, that we were watching. Uh, Dan Murphy from CNBC was moderating it um, at Abu Dhabi Finance Week um, where Nouriel Roubini basically called out 
um, CZ and Binance. He said there were seven C's of crypto, concealed, corrupt, crooks, criminals, conmen, carnival barkers and CZ. Um, CZ had actually been on stage about 10 minutes before, so a little bit awkward. Um, but was he right? There you go. That's the question. Now, let's see what happens at Abu Dhabi Finance Week this week because no doubt um, crypto exchanges and the licensing of them will be a hot topic. It always makes some headlines, which is why it's a great event to go to. And we are going to be there from the 27th to the 30th of November. Uh, But before we do, let's have a look this morning at uh, one of the uh, issues that's moving markets before we turn to Serena for the news. And that is the FOMC minutes. The guys from the Fed explaining uh, why they did what they did and what they might do next. It's one of those things where economists start reading into the language of the minutes of their last meeting to try and figure out whether or not we might see rates come down. This is Jan Walters doing the translating for us. She's a senior economist at Emirates MBD. Minutes of the 1 November Fed meeting where rates were kept unchanged for a second time to leave the upper bound of the Fed funds rate at 5.5% were published late last night. While the decision to keep rates on hold had largely been anticipated, comments made at the press conference by the Fed chairman Jerome Powell were interpreted as a dovish pivot. The more dovish tone was noteworthy given that the decision had come amidst robust economic data releases, including strong Q3 GDP. The minutes provide some clues to the Fed's thinking and suggest that tighter credit conditions were a key factor in the committee's decision. Not only had there been a sharp rise in longer-term Treasury yields ahead of the decision, but committee members also had pre-release data for the Q3 Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey, which suggested it was becoming harder for small firms to access credit. The minutes also suggested that while members saw the labour market as tight, there were some signs of it cooling off. Importantly, the minutes showed that all committee members anticipated that rates would need to remain at restrictive levels for some time. This means we're unlikely to see any cuts to rates in the near term. Our own view is that the Fed will be in a position to begin cutting rates towards the middle of next year. This means that UAE households and businesses with variable rate loans will have to wait a while yet for any relief on their debt interest payments. Jan Walters, she's a senior economist at Emirates MBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Yeah, where we are on IPO Watch here in the Business Breakfast. The latest news coming yesterday morning out of Abu Dhabi, and that is that Pure Health, uh, which is the country's largest healthcare group after a series of mergers, is planning an initial public offering for next month before listing on the ADX. We're very pleased to be joined by industry advisor Brian DeFrancesca of Maven. Brian, it's lovely to meet you. Good morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, So what do you make of this decision by Pure Health to take itself onto the exchange? Uh, Pure consists of many significant and complementary assets, uh, not only in the UAE, but the region, uh, and also globally uh, with its uh, uh, involvement with Ardent Health in the U.S. and Circle Health in the U.K. Uh, So as a global platform, uh, it's strong and certainly something to build upon. Well, let's have a look at how they might be building. We're keen to know, and we have reached out to Pure Health, which when they get to a certain stage in the IPO process where they've got some numbers on this, they're going to come and talk to us. But we're interested in looking at where the opportunities for growth for a company like Pure Health are and where some of the challenges are for Mm. the sector. 
How supplied or undersupplied are we at the moment here in the UAE in terms of facilities? Well, you just said you said a key word right there, facilities. Uh, if if the if the IPO is all about uh, buildings, uh, then it's very limited. Uh, but uh, I believe that Pure is about a lot more than traditional healthcare and buildings. Uh, the, the number of healthcare facilities in the UAE, specifically in, in some areas, is oversupplied. Uh, so, uh, you know, if, 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 if they were just to focus on hospitals in the UAE, that wouldn't be anything exciting to talk about. Uh, but I believe they have global aspirations, and that's where the market is for them. That's interesting because, okay, yes, I'm not talking about physical buildings as such. Mm. When I say facilities, what I'm basically asking is with the population growth that we're seeing here in the UAE at the moment, and economists that we've been speaking to say that we need to see about 7% in order to hit Mm. the economic targets that that we have here, um, do we have all the different types of healthcare that we need to take care of everybody? Yes. Well, 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 yes. With population growth and aging of the population that's here, you will see an increase in demand. Uh, at the same time, uh, where care is delivered in over the past decade, a decade and a half, has been pushed out of the hospital into outpatient settings, and then also from there more into the home. So you'll see a tremendous shift in the years to come from the traditional big boxes of beds to more outpatient care, more day surgeries, uh, more advanced care in the home. And this, I believe, aligns well with organizations that are looking at uh, genomics, longevity, precision medicine, artificial intelligence. Uh, uh, so it's, 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 it's a shift. That's why I kind of you know, pulled back from the facilities word in the beginning because it's more about personalized care towards the home away from how many beds does your hospital have. And an organization like Pure that's not a traditional uh, hospital organization I believe is uh, well-positioned to take advantage of that, and not just here, but in the region and globally. Okay, well, we will look regionally and globally in a a moment, but the shift, and you've mentioned geriatric medicine yourself, with that shift with golden visas here and retirement visas, what opportunities does that open up for for geriatric health? What needs to be put in place? Uh, Well, Definitely, you know, with the with the golden visas and the opportunity for people to come live here, I I just know personally more and more friends uh, and colleagues considering you know retiring here. Uh, you know, in in the 16 years that I've been here, and in the beginning, it was mainly uh, larger uh, general or tertiary type hospitals, uh, not not that much in the specialty services areas. So while while there, I do not believe is a, a need for more. Uh, general type hospitals, the need for for specialty centers, specifically in the area of you know geriatrics, uh, 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 neurology, uh, uh, neurological disorders. Uh, there's a whole suite of areas, and if you look at some of the 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 air, the, the precision medicine service lines that organizations like Pure are looking at, it's very complementary to the specialty services. Do we see a change in that specialty services with developments in medicine? I'm thinking of diabetes because it's always been one area um, that has seen a huge amount of growth in the Gulf because of our diabetes rates. All of the headlines about Azempic and Wigovi and the rest of those drugs potentially bringing down not just the diabetes numbers, but some of the studies suggesting you know improving heart health and the rest of it. How does that change what we actually need in services? Uh, 
in in many ways. Uh, well, the one th- the one thing that I, I found interesting was when Walmart announced that people are buying less food because of uh, you know all of this. Uh, what will I'm not sure that in the long term, uh, not being a clinician, but uh, that there'll be a shift because of any one medication, uh, because the, you know, it, it doesn't change behavior. Uh, you know, and a friend of mine, uh, Ali, has a, a place here, Glue Care, which is a, you know, my uh, stepson, Kareem, goes there. He's type 1 diabetic. It's a, it's a great place, uh, uh, and he's the first to say that it's, it's more about behavioral change, uh, and that's hard, and that's very hard. You've mentioned there a couple of times um, international growth, pure health, buying into um, healthcare facilities in the UK and the US. What other type of international expansion would you be interested in from them? What would get you excited? Anything that I mean, as a platform, you know, if you look at if you look at the platform they've created as sort of a, a petri dish, and then with the, the various resources we have here. You know, I've spent time at G42 and M42 in their, in their sequencing center. They have more sequencing technology in Abu Dhabi than I think most of the world has. You know, so here in, in the UAE, in Dubai, in, in Abu Dhabi, between where we're positioned with artificial intelligence, uh, with genomics, uh, using the facilities and the, the organizations that they have as a petri dish to develop and strengthen these gives a very good platform then to take what is developed to global markets. Pure Health itself has come from a number of mergers, really big mergers, um, in the last year or so. Is there still room for more? Is there still room for consolidation in the sector? Uh, specifically here in the UAE, yeah. probably not a lot more. Uh, I think that they've they've already put the the puzzle pieces together uh, to to really make it. It, it. it reminds me very much of the early days of Kaiser Permanente from the U.S. Uh, you know, where you have the the composite parts to 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 really provide end-to-end comprehensive services that then you can start uh, containing costs and improving quality. Quickly, 30 seconds, a good question come in. Someone asking about that balance um, between being a listed company and therefore answering to shareholders with profits and being in a very emotive sector like healthcare where you're working for the patients. How does a listed healthcare company get that right? Um, I think the first response from many people would be that you know, being very patient first, you know, it's all about the patient having to respond to shareholders. That's challenging. However, um, the transparency, the, the governance, uh, the access to capital markets that being public provides, I think, especially at this point in time, is important. Brian DeFrancesca is from Maven. He is a healthcare industry advisor speaking to us this morning about that Pure Health IPO. Thank you for your time. Great. Thank you. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. All right. We're going to speak to one local company now that's just carried out a management-led buyout of its equity from a shareholder and is sharing that with its staff. Gym Nation, big fitness brand here, um, has taken back some of its equity and some control from the guys at JD Gyms. Very pleased to be joined in the studio now by Lauren Holland, who's the founder and CEO of Gym Nation. Lauren, it's lovely to speak to you. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's start at the beginning. Well, close to the beginning. 
and look at your shareholding structure from the start. You guys set up in 2017. When did JD Gems get involved? Yeah, JD invested just short of two years ago. Um, they uh, helped the business uh, investment um, and to, to facilitate further expansion here in the UAE. How much did they give you at the time? Yeah, so they helped uh, us buy out uh, previous investors who were the seed investors and capitalise the business for future growth with uh, several million dollars. Um, and then more recently, though, uh, they've had a, a new strategic shift. They're going back to sort of their retail core, focusing on European and American markets. So we sort of felt like it was a, an opportunity to to undertake a management-led buyout. And ultimately, we brought fresh capital into the business, uh, local capital, a combination of equity and mezzanine financing. And that's helped us facilitate going from being minority shareholders as a management team to now being majority shareholders and get more control of our business. Excellent. Well, let's unpack some of that. Um, were they looking to divest? Did you guys have a choice? Was it if you don't do it, someone else will do it? Uh, yeah, like I said, I think they were they had a, a new strategic focus back to sort of retail. So their their heritage is being a sports retailer, uh, predominantly in the UK and across Europe. Um, so with a new management change there, uh, we felt that there probably wasn't a strategic focus anymore on the gym side of the business, and particularly here in the Middle East, and saw an opportunity to bring more aligned investors on board for the next chapter of our growth which will see us continue to grow here in the UAE, but particularly we're now looking for international expansion across the GCC. And how much have you and your investment partners bought that equity back for? How does it compare to the original price? Uh, well, the price has gone up. Uh, the business has expanded very well over the last few years. I think when JD invested, we had seven, maybe eight gyms. We're now currently today sat on 11 gyms and 60,000 members. So we've seen the valuation obviously increase with that. But uh, it was very amicable and we reached a, a, a fair valuation with JD, which allowed us to bring in new investors, recapitalise the business and get that majority and control back into the hands of management. So how much do you and your other two founders now hold? So collectively amongst the founders, but then also the wider management team now, we have 85% control of the business and that wider management team is really interesting because you've set up an equity incentivization team for your staff. Run me through how that works. Yeah, so it's something we really believed in. So the business was set up by myself, Frank and Anthony. Um, so there were sort of three original founders. But the reality is we've got a core team who've, some of those guys have been with us from day one and, and are legitimate founders of the business as well. They've sort of helped grow the business, you know, from what was just a pure startup, our first ever gym in 2017 on Sheikh Zayed Road. So we wanted to reward and incentivize them and felt like it was only only fair and only right to have them as equity holders alongside of us. So 10% of the business has gone to that wider management team now um, and something we, we really passionately believe in and we want to continue to reward them. I was going to say, can other staff then get into that sort of equity suite as it was? How do they have to do that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So not all of the equity has been um, sort of distributed day one. Uh, people can earn into it and every single year more of that equity will be issued to either existing staff or new staff coming into the business. 
So as a sort of growing business, recruiting the best talent in the market, both within the market, but then also attracting talent from abroad is going to be a real focus for us. So hopefully this equity incentivization scheme allows us to retain the best, reward the best, but also recruit the best. And what's the ultimate aim for the structure of the business? You've got these new investors in. At some point, they're going to want some kind of exit strategy. What's the long-term plan? Yeah, so our, our, our plan now is it's a three- to five-year plan to continue to grow here in the UAE, which is a, a fantastic fitness market, a growing fitness market. But we want to expand across the GCC. We've seen our concepts do very well. Uh, we're, we're positioned as one of the most affordable gyms in town, but with a premium product. So you get that sort of fantastic blend of a, a fantastic product, but at a very affordable price. We've had great growth here in the UAE. We've managed to sort of disrupt the market. We now want to take the concept into Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Qatar and Kuwait. So, yeah, the next chapter is going to be an exciting one and uh, hopefully see us go international. And ultimately, our ambition is in the next three to five years to have the biggest fitness chain across the GCC. Uh, Very quickly, how many new chains are we going to see from you? You mentioned Saudi there. What are the numbers? Yeah, so we've just signed off just this week four more sites here in the UAE and we've just signed six sites in Saudi Arabia. And we're commencing company formation in Qatar and Bahrain, and we're in discussions with several landlords. But we'd like to, you know, I, I mean, the market here is fantastic across the GCC for the in the fitness sector. I think there's a market opportunity for us easily to get to 50 gyms in the next three to five years. Very quickly, 20 seconds. Could we eventually see Gym Nation listed on one of the exchanges here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not we're not. Uh, tying ourselves to any one particular exit route but a listing uh, there are several gym chains listed in the region so that would definitely be one of the considerations thank you very much for joining us this morning a man who has come in with a busted collarbone <laughs> and a couple of broken ribs as well lauren holland founder and ceo not by the way gained in the gym gained on the cycle track uh, founder and ceo of gym nation coming in to discuss that management-led buyout with us thanks for your time no, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Time now for us to catch up uh, as we do each week with our friends from AGBI, the Arabian Gulf Business Insight, the business news site for the MENA region, keeping you uh, better informed and allowing you to make uh, greater business decisions. The Saudi editor of AGBI is Andrew Hammond, who's uh, kind enough to join us uh, here this morning. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning. Great to you? have you here uh, in studio as well. And is there a day that goes by for us that Saudi Arabia is not making headlines at the moment? Uh, one of the latest ones that's got people nattering uh, around conference tables, uh, coffee machines and otherwise is the new civil commercial code due to go into effect by the end of this year. To give us a bit more infrastructure, or certainly a bit more insight into foreign invest, uh, investment into the country. Uh, Andrew's been looking at that uh, along with his team as well. Um, you did a great piece recently uh, on the site about good time to be a lawyer in the region at the moment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, Saudi Arabia, the legal profession has uh, really had um, a boost in the last couple of years. Um, I mean, essentially since, since 2016 with, uh, in the context of this uh, Vision 2030. Um, and there's going to be a, a big need for more lawyers because of the uh, commercial code that is expected to be uh, made uh, a reality from uh, the end of, by the end of the year, by around December or so. 
Um, and uh, I mean, companies have been waiting for this for a long time. Um, it's something that many were promised would happen when they came to the country, when they became involved in some, with some of the uh, GEGA projects. Mm. They were told that this, uh, this code would come into existence and they, and they felt a need for it because there was not uh, a, a sense of clarity about the legal situation in the country. People were unsure about dealing with the court system. They were un- unsure about dealing with, uh, with the system in Arabic because there was no uh, provision for handling it uh, with, with English. And they really didn't know where they were going. Um, so now the idea with this um, new code is that there's going to be fundamentally clarity. And there's, there's an important legal point or judicial point here as well, which is that um, the legal system previously has been very much based on the idea of a judge's discretion uh, when they rule on various issues, which could be commercial issues as well as uh, a whole lot of other issues, family issues or anything. Um, so what people really wanted was something written down clear that a judge would have to stick to mm. when it comes to a whole load of um, issues related to doing business within the country. And this is, um, this is the great hope about what is going to change. And it's going to have a big, make a big difference, uh, one would hope, and the government hopes for, for investment, because now investors will have that clarity. It will encourage more people to come and uh, work in the country. Um, and, you know, it's linked clearly to Vision 2030, the idea of inc- increasing uh, foreign in, uh, direct investment in the country. Um, it aligns with other changes happening right now as well. Um, the regulation telling businesses that they should have their regional headquarters based in Saudi Arabia rather yeah. than elsewhere. Um, That's early January, is it? It's that- January the 1st is um, the deadline to, to make that happen. Um, it's not clear exactly will there be a law of some sort that makes it a requirement. Um, possibly there'll be something coming out on that within a month or two. But that aligning with uh, the commercial code overall should give quite a push to um, foreign direct investment in the country, which there is a need still felt for because it's not quite where it was meant to be. Could we make that link at the moment? If there are sort of question marks about the new laws coming in with regards to um, headquarters for companies at the come 2024, creating this structure and a bit more clarity, as you mentioned there, a bit more reassurance to foreign companies and foreign direct investors into the country, are the two sort of working together towards that goal? That's the idea, definitely, um, because there is this need felt. The numbers are they're not really where they were meant to be. Mm. Um, there was a revised uh, plan on this front from 2021, which had a very ambitious figure. And ambition is fine. It's okay for there to be ambition and not quite to, to reach the figures that are out there because they're an incentive to uh, just make things better. But the number was something like 100, uh, when you translate it in dollars, about $100 billion per year of FDI. And it's still quite a bit away from that. Um, recently, the Ministry of Investment uh, issued a revised methodology for how they work out what the figures are each year, which did improve the figure considerably. Um, they say they have the approval of the um, uh, IMF for this new methodology. So it looks like it's, um, it's something straight up and there's not, not anything funny going on. Um, but the figure now was for last year about $33 billion for the year, which is, which is a lot. It's more than it was with the previous methodology, but it's still far away from where it was meant to be. But as you say, the idea is that um, these different elements will align and mesh together to give uh, uh, companies the sense that they're, um, they're walking into a market where they have the, the, familiar, the familiarity, the clarity that they would find in other Gulf countries. 
specifically in the UAE mm. or in Bahrain, um, where a commercial codes, arbitration courts for foreign companies where they can go to, where they can, they can uh, deal with issues in English and things are clear to them. Um, the idea is that you would have that in Saudi Arabia as well, and that's been lacking for so long. Just finally, we've got 30 seconds remaining with you, Andrew. Obviously, that seems to have been one of the themes of 2023. Every CEO is looking to expand into Saudi Arabia. Given the sort of change in laws and codes, etc., do you expect that to continue into 2024? The expansion of... Companies, businesses. I I think so. I mean, um, so far the numbers that the uh, the government has put out about the number of businesses that have um, moved there because of this regulation over um, headquarters is uh, dozens so far, um, and it's bound to continue into next year. Uh, they say they have the figures to back it up. From what I've seen and heard from companies, it is definitely happening. There is. To a certain degree, some kind of finessing of the situation. You might have an office here as well as in Saudi Arabia, but still fundamentally, people are going there. Andrew, going to leave it there. Bless you. Thanks so much indeed for your time this morning. Much appreciated. Andrew Hammond is the Saudi editor of the Arabian Gulf Business Insight. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.